So I'm really glad that you decided to join us today for our online home worship. We have been planning for a month uh, the worship experience that you've been having, and I, as your pastor, am super thrilled that we're able to do this on the day after Christmas here. Uh, Today, we've planned a very special message as our Power of Christmas series comes to a wrap. Uh, I was actually asked to give this message, and I was asked to talk on rest I think that's really fitting. After a month like this and all that we've been through to talk about the rest that can come in and through Christmas. And most of you are going, I didn't rest through Christmas. Well, that's what we're going to talk about right now. And in keeping with the series that we've been in, we're going to talk about rest from the vantage point of Jesus, our Savior, the one we're celebrating in this season. Now, as we look to going into the new year, we're going to allow Him to guide us today in an understanding, a biblical understanding of rest. So with that said, hopefully wetting your whistle, why don't you guys bow with me right now and let's pray and ask God, ask God blessing on this time. God, our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you that both of those things have come to us in Christ, who is our Savior, who is our Lord. I pray that as we uh, enter into a discussion now on what your Son has taught us about rest and how we can find rest in Him. I pray that you give us wisdom. I pray you give us insight from your Holy Spirit. Mostly, Lord, I pray you speak to each of our minds and hearts right now, where we sit, where we are, uh, about the rest that you have for us. May we be open to what you say. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So it is no secret that our day and age is unique in its absolute addiction to hurry and marginless living. Let me repeat that. It is no sickness, or it's no no secret that, that our day and age is unique in the whole history of the world when it comes to hurry and marginless living. A lot's been written on this over the years, over the last 30 or 40 years since we've entered into modernity. And I like it how Dick Swenson said it best, who's probably one of the uh, the big writers on this. He, he calls our day and age uh, hurry sickness, hurry sickness. And one of the things he points out in his book is how our day and age, meaning the last 100 years, is absolutely different than any other age in the history of the world. And when you think about it, what's majorly different about it is that now we can keep light on 24-7. With electricity and artificial lights, if you want to, you never have to be in the dark. We have mass transportation today where you can get around the world in less than 24 hours, and you can get across our country in about five or six We have the internet, which is the information superhighway that allows us to to mass communicate in a way never before seen in the history of the world. And speaking of mass communications, we have cell phones and email and television. I mean, it's just, it's all at our disposal. And, And so as a result of this, here's my point, that you and I have the ability today, and again, unlike any other time in the history of the world, to go 24-7 if we want to. 
Think about that. Our ancestors never had that luxury. If you're living 125 years ago in this country, you would have to go to sleep with the sun, and you would rise with the sun. If you really wanted to, you could light a candle and try to read by candlelight if you could find a book and if you had learned to read. It was a different world back then. But now, with all the conveniences of modern living, and many of them, most of them have been wonderful, the downside is is that we have the ability to go all the time to never, ever, ever have to slow down, again, to exist 24-7. And so if ever there was a time, if ever there was a day and age that longed for or would tune in to what Jesus had to say about rest and the need that we have as creations of God for regular rest, it is now. And so here's what we're going to do today. I don't think you need any more convincing on the need that we have for rest. I want to take a look at one verse that Jesus that we have on what Jesus had to say about rest, a verse that some of you are familiar with, but we're going to try to cast it in a fresh light today. And then we're going to take a look at some things that Jesus taught us about rest. So one verse, and then we're going to take a look at uh, his, his life in toto and what he teaches us about rest. And so look with me at what he said at one point in his public ministry. Look at me what he said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, here it is, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So notice two times over, I put it there in yellow as I always do so you won't miss it. He, he talks about rest. That's the end goal here. He wants us to learn to find regular rest in our lives, a place to recharge our batteries, a place that we can live life from whatever season we have next in life. And notice with me here, fascinating, how he talks about two levels of rest that he gives us. This is really important. He, he talks at first saying, by come to me and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you'll find rest for your souls. Now, 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 parse that out a little bit. I think what Jesus is talking about here is two levels of rest, what we might call an immediate salvation rest that we get when we come to Jesus, but then as we learn to walk with him and follow him through this tumultuous world, we learn a different level of rest, a daily rest, as we do life his way. And for those of you who are followers of Christ, you know this is true. That when you first came to Jesus, there was one of these big sighs for your soul, right? It's like, I'm finally home. And you could rest in your salvation. You could rest in the forgiveness of your sins. You could rest in who Christ is now that he's front and center in your life. You experienced an immediate salvation rest, whereas Romans 5 says you are now at peace with God. There's no more enmity anymore. Now God is in your life. He's front and center, and you're at rest with him. That's what Jesus means when he comes to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But then it's fascinating. He goes on to say that, that as we now follow him and take his yoke upon us, he says, learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. So there's another level of rest that Jesus talks about here that's a learned rest. Don't miss this, gang. It's a choice 
rest. We can choose to do it or not, which is why there might be a lot of Christians out there today that though they should be leading the way and showing others what rest is, aren't because we're not learning from Jesus. So here's our main point. Here's what we get from Matthew chapter 11 there, and that is it is through coming to Jesus as well as imitating Jesus that we find rest for our very lives. That's what we're going to explore right now, that it's through coming to Jesus, finding salvation, rest in him, and then learning from him as we walk with him day in and day out, as we look at his life, that we will find the rest that we need for our very lives. And so before I walk you through some of these things, here's what you might want to recognize about Jesus' way. He's not going to talk to us about time management. He's not going to ask you to get on your Outlook calendar. He's not going to tell you to, to, to take it easy at night and watch three television shows, though all those things might help you in your daily management. No, Jesus is going to go right for the heart now, uh, the heart and soul of our lives, and show us from his life what he did and what we could do to find the rest that we need. So when you look closely at Jesus's life, which we're going to do right now, you're going to notice no less than six key ways to develop margin and rest in your life. Six things that Jesus shows us that he did that we can do as well, that when taken together, will start to chip away at this hurry sickness, at this 24-7 living. It slows us down and allows us to find the margin and rest that we need. And these could be some, become some great New Year's resolutions for all of us. And here's the first way that Jesus shows us to find rest, and that is to connect regularly with God, to connect regularly with God. And I don't mean, now listen closely, connect on the go, which so many Christians are good at. I mean connect when you're slow. Let me repeat that. There's no, no such thing in the Bible as connecting with God on the go. People always connect with God when they get slow. So it's interesting. The first 30 years of Jesus's life, he lived, as most of us know, as obscure, in obscurity as a carpenter. And then at the age of 30, he began his public ministry three grueling years. And when you read the Gospels and look at what Jesus did uh, during those three years, he called disciples, he taught large crowds, he healed and performed miracles, he dealt with antagonistic religious leaders, he dealt with threatened governmental leaders, he had confused followers at times. And so Jesus lived a life to the tilt, I mean, a life of absolute busyness and hurry. And yet what's fascinating is that in the midst of all of this, now, now don't miss this, he regularly got away from all the chaos, slowed down, and connected with his heavenly Father through prayer, solitude, and time spent with him. And when you look all over the New Testament or the Gospels and start glossing over certain passages that are there, you start to see this. Let me just give you a sampling. So in Luke 5, verse 16, it said, but he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, in these days, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. 
And then just a few chapters later, here in Luke 9, 18, it says, Now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples came to be with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And so just these three passages within a few chapters give us the sense that Jesus did this a lot, like regularly. That in the midst of a very busy and emotionally charged life, he would steal away on a regular basis to connect with the Father. And it only makes sense. Kind of like your car only runs on gasoline, and if you put anything else in it like water or diesel fuel, it's not going to run right. We were created to run on God. Our souls only fire up when we connect with the maker of our souls, our Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit, and His Son, Christ. And so this is something we need to do, especially if we want to have the emotional reserves that we all long for. We need to slow down, carve out space, and begin to connect with God on an absolute regular, regular basis. You know, I run a little risk saying this, but I, I think most of you will get it. As a pastor of a larger church, even when I was a pastor of smaller churches, um, the demands on my time are never-ending. One of the things I've learned in the ministry, and we talk about this regularly, and I'll talk about it more in a second, is that I, I could work 24-7. I mean, the people needs are that great if I wanted to, and there's never an end to the needs and to the demands on my time as a pastor. So like many of you in your businesses, I could choose to work all the time. But I learned years ago, almost 40 years ago when I went into ministry, that if I'm going to pace myself, if I'm going to have times of rest, it's going to come by me carving out time every day that is spent doing nothing but communing with God. And I might do it in the mornings where I actually have on my Outlook calendar, this is time for God. I, I, I might do it in the afternoon when I, I take my walk. Uh, but, but I carve out time every day to have a, a, a time where I spend only to connect with God. And again, as I said earlier, it's not connect on the go, it's connect on the slow. So I don't connect with God by shopping at Walmart, though I know He's there with me. I, I don't connect with God by, you know, doing some activity, though I know He's there with me. I connect with God by, by getting slow in my life, getting quiet in my life, just like Jesus did, and reading the Bible, praying, meditating, uh, resting in His presence. The old-time spiritual giants called this a quiet time, aptly put, a time where you quiet your soul and, and, and connect with God. And it's a learned activity. Just like coffee is a, a learned taste, I'm told, uh, learning to connect with God is a learned activity. So, you know, you don't expect spiritual sparks to fly right away. But as you learn to quiet your soul and connect with Him, you start to find that rest that you need and that Jesus talks about here. So the first thing we need to do in order to find rest, the first thing that some of us might need to commit to in this new year and the first thing that Jesus models for us is to connect regularly with God. Now, we're just ramping up. There's more. And so a second thing that Jesus shows us we need to do in order to gain margin that leads to rest, and this one's going to catch some of you by surprise because you've not linked this to your rest, is to seek, seek out consistent community with like-minded believers. Seek out consistent community with like-minded believers. 
You know, Jesus showed us this in spades. As most of you know, we had 12 closest friends or followers called the disciples. And I want you to look at a passage that describes the initial calling of the disciples that kind of reveals to us what this point is about. Look at Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. It says, And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles. Now here it is. So that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. So that they might be with him. Not just get work done, not just go out and preach, though it says they're going to do that, but to be with him. That's why he called the disciples in mutual fellowship, mutual relationality, to be with them in community. And again, what most Bible experts point out, and and this just hopefully will grab you, is that we always think of the disciples spending three years with Jesus and and doing all the ministry. They would have had plenty of downtime. That's why it says here in Mark that he called them to be with him. They would have had plenty of downtime walking along the road, setting up camp uh, around the campfire, in those quiet down moments where Jesus models for us and teaches us that intimate community and relationality with just a few is critical to our emotional margin and to our rest. And so part of gaining and finding rest in the midst of a busy and crazy lifestyle is not just about events and projects, but consistent relational community. Can be people that you connect with, share your story with, be yourself with, share your life with, and grow with. Because here's what happens if you do it right. It slows you down, and it helps you get perspective on this crazy world. You know, I have believed this so much that, again, going back to the way I function as your pastor, again, I lead a very, very busy life, but for almost 40 years now, ever since I got into ministry, I have prioritized weekly connection with other men. And when I say connection, I don't mean a phone call or a text. Getting with them for a meal and for no agenda other than to share my life with them and have them share their life with me. Some call it accountability or what have you. But to just be honest with each other about how we're doing in Christ and how we're doing in our lives. And I've done that every week for 40 years. Whether I lived in Detroit, London, Ontario, Cleveland, Ohio, or now here in Scottsdale, I meet every week with three men, there's four of us total, that are the ones who minister to my soul that I connect with, that are peers spiritually and relationally, and that's a huge part of my rest and of my spiritual and mental health. And so maybe now you can see why the, the, the mission or vision of our church is to get God, get real, and get out there. Because it's only when we seek out consistent community with like-minded believers that we find the rest that our soul needs. So again, maybe for some of you entering into the new year, uh, your new year's goal is to try to find that consistent community, that small group that will give you the rest that your soul longs for. And then as you find yourself getting with others, there's a third thing that Jesus shows us. And this one kind of goes along with the second one, but Jesus modeled this in spades. And that is that as you're in community, be yourself, avoid a fabricated life. 
Be yourself. Avoid a fabricated life. I got this from C.S. Lewis, who once said, there's nothing worse than a fabricated emotion. And let's face it, gang, here's what it is for you and I. There's nothing worse than being in community or relationship with other believers in which you have to fake it or in which you have to somehow not be yourself, in which you're afraid to be yourself. It takes a lot of energy to do that because you're constantly worried that they might find you out. You're constantly worried you have to cover up. And again, that's no way to live. Jesus didn't live that way at all. In fact, one of the things I love about the Gospels is that the Gospel writers were very, very honest to show us a Jesus who displayed all kinds of emotions in the relational settings he found themselves in. So so look at what Luke says here in Luke 22, verse 44. Jesus is in the garden. The disciples are there with him, just a a stone's throw away. And it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And so again, Jesus is showing us here the emotion of anxiety, as he thought in in his human part of himself, going to the cross and the pain that that would be, and the momentary separation from the Father as the sins of the world were placed on him, his humanity experienced anxiety at that time. And he wasn't afraid to display that emotion. Or how about this passage here in John 2, verses 14 through 16? This is one that most people are familiar with. It says, In the temple, Jesus found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sowed pigeons, take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of trade. Obviously, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that Jesus is displaying anger here. And so he wasn't afraid to show his anger, a righteous anger, when he saw things that were unjust. Or the shortest verse in all of the New Testament, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. At the loss of his dear friend Lazarus, it says that Jesus wept. He shows the emotion of grief here. So you got anxiety, anger, grief, just in these three verses. I think we can add the full range of emotions Jesus would have displayed in community. Laughing, sadness, peace, perplexity, joy, hurt, disappointment, excitement. And again, you and I are so reticent to share these things, even with those around us, and it takes a lot of energy. No wonder we're tired if we can't be ourselves. And again, I know how some of you are thinking, you're thinking about Jamie, you don't understand, the people that I hang around with, these Christians, some of them are really judgmental and I really can't be myself. (laughs) I'm just going to say it as plainly as I can, then find other Christians. (laughs) If you can't be yourself with the people that you've chosen to be around, whether it's your small group or your friends, or what have you. I'm not saying ignore them, but find people that you can. There have been times where I've been in community with Christians a lot over the years, and I can tell pretty quickly I don't feel very safe with them. I can't be Christ in me, the hope of glory, Colossians 1, with them. And even though God's okay with who I am, I know they aren't. They don't like an aspect of my personality. They don't like my humor. They don't like the human side of Jamie, or what have you, what have you. And so what I do is I don't shame them or shun them. I just say, well, we'll have this relationship. But over here, I'm going to find a place where I can be myself. I'm going to find a a person or two or three or four that will accept me as I am. Why? Because it's critical to my rest. It's too hard. It's too much energy to have to fake it. Uh, You need to find community 
that's going to care for you. So to recap, Jesus tells us to find the rest that we need. We need to connect with God, seek out community with others, be yourself. And then there's a fourth thing. we got to accelerate a little bit here. There's a fourth thing that Jesus shares and models for us, and that is to set clear boundaries and keep them. <laughs> set clear boundaries and keep them. Now, now, now listen closely, folks, for this isn't arguable. One of the things that robs the average 21st century individual of finding rest, and you know this is true, is that we say yes to way too much and do not protect ourselves from overcommitment that in the end depletes us of time and energy and spiritual reserves. We do this with our jobs, with our hobbies, with our friends, with our civic commitments, even with our church. We do way too much, constantly on the go and moving, and it slowly sucks us dry. And it's because we can't say no. And yet one of the things that Jesus shows us in his life is that it's okay, even healthy, to set boundaries around what we will do and when. I shared with you earlier that, that shortest passage in the New Testament, out of John 11, Jesus wept. Some of you know the backstory to that. Uh, Jesus was on a trip, we assume, in, in far north Israel at that time, and three of his best friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who lived in Bethany in Judea, south of Jerusalem there, uh, needed him. And they did because Lazarus was sick. So they sent word to Jesus, you know, saying, hey, Lazarus is sick. They know he's a miracle worker. So they said, you need to come back and attend to him. Fascinating. Look at John 11 verses 6 through 7. It says, so when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea. Fascinating. He stayed two days longer where he was. Never tells us why. Never says, you know, whether he was attending to something he thought was more important or if there was a plan in all of this for Lazarus and Mary and Martha. We don't know why. But we do know that when he got there to Bethany, Lazarus was dead. So if he had been there earlier, as Martha would tell him, <laughs> then Lazarus would not have died. But because he dawdled, because he, he said, I'm going to take my time and attend to this instead, Lazarus died. And then it says, and Jesus wept. Now, there's a happy ending to this story that you can read on your own. Go to John 11. But what you don't want to miss is that Jesus was not afraid to set clear boundaries around his, his time, even when people demanded that he do something right now and even tried to maybe guilt trip him, he said, no, I'm staying two more days. I'm doing this because, again, Jesus was not afraid to set clear boundaries. Here's what I've learned. It's one of the hardest things for me to find rest. In the ministry, in my life right now, the people needs, the people wants, the people demand of my time is never, ever ending. And it's so strong that I've said it this way. Maybe this will help some of you understand me and some of our other pastors here. I've said to our pastors regularly, and it took me years to understand this. I say to them regularly, if you can't go home each day with unmet needs in your trail, you'll never make it as a pastor. Because part of ministering as a pastor in a church is that there are always needs. Part of ministering in this crazy world is that there's always needs. 
And part of what we've needed to learn to do around here, each of us individually, is set boundaries so that if for no other reason we find the rest and pace ourselves for the rest of you so that we can be there for you. It's just that when you set boundaries, people get mad, people get disappointed, they don't understand. Again, in John 11, they didn't get it with Jesus doing it. But without them, you'll never find the rest that you need. You got to learn to set some boundaries, say no, pace yourself like your Savior did. And then a fifth thing that Jesus shows us how to find rest, and this seems initially counterintuitive, but you'll see why it's not, is this, and that is to develop a lifestyle of serving others and God. Develop a lifestyle of serving others and God. And some of you are saying right now, you just said don't serve others and God. You just said to slow down and set boundaries and learn to say no. Well, there's a balance here. I mean, look at what Jesus' life mission statement was while he was on this earth. This is powerful and profound. It's found in Matthew 20, verse 28, and Jesus says this, The Son of Man came to not be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. In other words, Jesus lived a life of other-centeredness, other focus. He was focusing on humanity and our need for forgiveness. And Jesus' whole purpose in coming was to serve. And yet, as we've seen all along today, even as Jesus did all of this, he still connected regularly with God. He still got in community. He still was himself. He still set boundaries. And so service and being other-centered is not the enemy of rest. It actually starts to foster rest. And here's how it works. And again, I experience this all the time as your pastor. Serving actually fills you up. It's a self-centered life. It's a life centered only on yourself that's depleting because it's all about you. But when we serve others, when we love others, when we pour into them, again, balanced out by the other things, it's when we actually find more energy, your soul is filled up to now go and even minister more. So serving works that way. And then lastly, and this one pulls it all together, we're going to wrap up here in a minute, Jesus constantly teaches us to maintain an attitude of hope to maintain an attitude of hope. Some of you are thinking, where did this one come from? Listen to me, folks. It's part of the hurry sickness of our day. One of the things that modern humankind has found is that when we lose our hope, it zaps our energy. Why? Because hope in any and every situation gives margin to our souls. It says that I'm not a lost cause. With God, there is never a hopeless future. And here's what Jesus taught us. He said in John 14, verse 6, or verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So as you deal with all the craziness of the world, as you deal with your runaway life at times, as you deal with marriage struggles, kids struggles, job struggles, money troubles, whatever it might be for you, Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And you'll find rest starting to invade your soul. So are you starting to see that Jesus truly is our great teacher? Let's put these things up one last time on the monitor here. And I want to read the list for you because I'm going to ask you to do something with this in just a minute here. But we're to connect regularly with God, our Father. We're to seek out consistent community 
with like-minded believers. We're to be ourselves and avoid a fabricated life. Set clear boundaries and keep them. Don't always say yes. Learn to say no. Develop a lifestyle of serving. Maintain an attitude of hope. These are the ingredients that your Savior modeled for you and then says, learn from me. Follow me in these things, and you will find rest for your soul. These are the things that Jesus gives us that we can now apply to our own lives and find the rest that we're after. So here's what I want you to do, sitting right where you are or wherever you are right now. I want you to look at this list, and instead of feeling overwhelmed by it, as we move into the new year, why don't you choose one or two? of these things as an area of your life where you said, where you say, I either need that or I need to work on that. Uh, that's all I ask you to do. Choose one or two things that kind of jumps off the monitor here at you that, that says, yes, that, that's me. Maybe it's connecting more regularly with God. That old quiet time has waned in your life. Maybe you've given up on community and it's tired. you're tired being alone. Maybe, and I think this one's for a lot of us, maybe you just haven't been able to be yourself in the community that you're in, and you need to find some brothers and sisters, or maybe some relationships where they'll accept you for who you are, because that provides rest. Maybe you need to set clear boundaries, learn to say no a little bit more in the new year, and focus on the things that God wants you to focus on. Maybe you need to serve a bit more, stop making it all about you, <laughs> and start to get others-centered. And for all of us, maybe this is where you are right now, maintain an attitude of hope, because hope is what God gives us to grab onto in our fallen lives and in this fallen world. Here's what I know, and I've been doing this a long time, we can find the rest we need. We live in a day and age where, as we saw when we started, just mitigates against rest. You can be 24-7 all the time if you want to. It's the sickness of our modern culture. But you don't need to be that way. As one guy says, you can relentlessly pursue the rest that your soul needs. I hope we do that in the new year. God, thank you for uh, this special day where we can have our in-home worship time and to look to you and in the settledness uh, of our living room or in a hotel room, wherever we might be, we can focus upon you. So Lord, I pray that as we've had this very timely talk on rest, that God, you might grab us, grab us in Jesus and help us to learn from him and not be afraid to follow him into these deep waters that our souls so desperately long for. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.